Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning and welcome to Dirt Radio, sponsored by Friends of the Earth Melbourne. We're coming at you live from NAM in the Kulin Nation, also known as Melbourne in Victoria. Um, big respect to all the Indigenous folk listening in today. And joining me in the studio, I'm really excited to have um, the other half of uh, Dirt Radio with me, uh, John Langer. Hey, Phil, how are you? And... Uh Amazing, we're here together in the same space. I know, there was a bit of a Clark Kent Superman going on. I wasn't sure if I was just uh, changing personality every every little while. <laughs> it doesn't happen too much, but here we are. It doesn't, does it? So this week we're putting a focus on technology and the curious historical moment. One technology, nuclear power, possibly on the wane. The other, genetic engineering, predicted to by some to be in the ascendant. The next, next great technological revolution. Now, about a week ago, no, sorry, not a week ago. This is where's my time going? At the end of October, <laughs> a month ago. yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, at the end of October, when the entire media was consumed by the high court rulings on dual citizenship, something that should have been very newsworthy just snuck by unnoticed. The Office of the Gene, Gene, Gene Technology Regulator here in Australia quietly emailed stakeholders with its proposed changes to gene technology regulations. Lou Sales, who we just heard just a minute ago, is the mm-hmm. campaign coordinator with Friends of the Earth's Eng- um, emerging technology, emerging tech project. Excuse me, Lou, and she's she's here with Dirt Radio to explain what's happening. Lou, good morning, and thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the program. And the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator, what are they? Who are they and what do they do? So the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator is responsible. It's the Australian agency that's responsible for regulating um, genetically modified organisms in the field. Um, genetically modified organisms in our food is slightly different. That's um, Fazan's Food Standards. Australia and New Zealand are responsible for regulating them. Now... One particular genetic modification technique is being seen by some as a real game changer, but in terms of biotech, it could end up being something of a Frankenstein monster. It's called CRISPR, and it looks like it may have little or no regulation in Australia. You're being, you've been very concerned about this. Tell us about CRISPR. That's right. So CRISPR is a new genetic engineering technique. Um, it's only it was only developed about five five years ago. That's how new it is, um, and it basically works like a pair of mo- molecular scissors almost. Um, it will spot the bit of DNA that you want to cut and cut it. But unfortunately, like a lot of similar techniques, it's prone to not only cutting the bit of DNA that you want to, but it'll also cut other similar sequences of DNA, um, which is why scientists globally have been saying this technique really needs to be regulated. It's clearly genetically genetic engineering and it needs to be regulated as such um, because obviously 
these what are termed off-target effects can result in unexpected mutations, potentially the production of new toxins, allergens. Um, and if you're not regulating these techniques, then you're obviously not looking for, for these effects, which is deeply concerning because it would mean that they could be going out into the environment and into our food with no safety testing. Lou, just give us an idea now. I, I, this is a very naive question. Wh where would this sort of stuff be applied? Like, you know, just give us a few examples of where, where would they be using this CRISPR? Yeah, so CRISPR is being used across a whole range of different fields. Um, it's, it's showing enormous promise in medicine for, for gene therapy techniques. Um, it's also um, being applied to agriculture, for example, to make crops herbicide-tolerant, um, disease resistant, those similar traits to, to GMOs, um, to older GMO techniques. Um, yeah, it's being used across a whole raft of industries. And I think what's different about CRISPR is it's much cheaper and easier to use. Um, so you can actually get DIY CRISPR kits. They're for sale in the US for 500 bucks and you can readily import them in, into Australia. Um, and there's a whole um, raft of yeah people that call themselves biohackers that experiment on microbes using um, these techniques, which is, again, something that we're really concerned about is the potential for someone to, I mean, not necessarily deliberately uh, produce a dangerous pathogen. They could do it entirely by accident and flush it down, down their toilet and they won't know the, um, what they've done until <laughs> an yeah. epidemic breaks out. So, 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 so people these can buy techniques are really powerful and, and we think it's incredible that the government's proposing not regulating them. So people can buy these things online and do it at home. Is that That's right. Yeah. So there's a company in the US selling DIY CRISPR kits for yeah, 500 bucks. Um they're quite they're quite restricted in what you can do with them at the moment. You can basically sure. make um bacteria glow in the dark. Um, things like that. But obviously we're concerned oh. this technique is developing really quickly and we really need to have regulation in place um, to, keep, to keep up with the technology because obviously the price is coming down and techniques are getting more sophisticated and, and we really need to yeah, make sure that these techniques are regulated from the start. And one of the things that I, I was reading when, about this is that you can end up genetically modifying animals and if Australia, didn't, right. if it, Australia didn't regulate or has, is, doesn't go down the regulation path, we would be the first country in the world to allow this to happen. That's right. And that's, that's really quite incredible um, that, that Australia would consider doing that. And um, polls consistently show that the majority of, of people are really uncomfortable with the idea of genetically modifying animals and certainly wouldn't want to eat them. Um, but if these techniques are deregulated in Australia, they'll be deregulated not only in crops, but also yeah, in, in microbes and in animals as well. So even the US, which is a very um, pro-GM nation, I mean, they've basically not really got a proper regime for regulating um, GMOs over there, but they're still proposing regulating the use of these techniques in animals. Um, and they've also, there was a, a non-browning mush, mushroom that was developed over there using CRISPR and the Food and Drug Administration over there says that they want to assess it for safety before Mm. Uh, being allowed into the food chain because they want to reassure consumers that it's safe to eat. But over here, what our regulator is proposing is that when these techniques are used to make, they're saying just small, predictable changes to the genome, they don't need to be regulated. But unfortunately, as the science is showing us, um, the effects of these techniques aren't predictable at all, which is why you need to assess them for safety. Um, so what we're calling for is is really quite 
conservative. We're just calling for the existing mm. regulation to apply to these new techniques. What industry is calling for is really incredibly radical that we don't regulate these techniques at all, which we just find incredible. Right. The, the, look, I, I got to say, Phil and I are in the studio here. We're shaking our heads mm. at the at the implications of this. I, I really. I'm actually quite stunned by all of what you're saying. And and something else that I read is that uh, you've been talking about the United States, but in Norway and Austria and even in New Zealand, they're, they're making uh, moves to sort of think about these things. What's been going on in those countries? So, oh, yeah, Austria, the Austrian and Norwegian government commissioned reviews of these techniques, so not only CRISP, but some other similar techniques that work, work in a similar way. And they concluded that all of these techniques pose the same risks as older GM techniques, and they need to be assessed for safety um, before, they're, before they're used in, in the food chain. Um, New Zealand actually um, last year said that they're going to regulate these techniques as GMOs, and that's largely because they're a big agricultural exporter mm. and they're really mm. worried about market rejection if mm. these techniques are, are deregulated there because um, and there's a clear clear risk associated with um, GMOs for ex unapproved GMOs being released into the food chain because um, there's historical examples like in 2015, for example, um, China blocked a billion dollars in corn Mm, imports mm. from the US because of an, the presence of an unapproved GMO and Australia could be looking at the same market risks um, if we're to go down mm. go down this path um, yeah because there'll be no way if, if there's no regulation there'll be no traceability throughout the food chain and there's no, no way of keeping these um, mm. ingredients out of our food um, which is also a major concern for non-GM farmers and, and people that don't want to eat GM food like myself Exactly. And I'm, I'm amazed that the industry hasn't actually taken this on board when they're thinking about these things. The view of, of uh, the Emerging Tech Project is, is, as you've just said, industry seems to be basically writing the rules. But how can people like us, you know, and I'm thinking about this very seriously right now, is how, how do we make an intervention in this? What, what can we actually do? Well, there's actually there's public consultation going on at the moment, but again, we're really concerned that it's a closed shop. So we um, told our supporters about it, and, and a number of people tried to register for, for public consultation forums that were meant to be going on and, and were denied access. They were told that there were only 20 spots available and they wanted mm. to make sure that a diversity of views were, were heard. And we, we think that really the public should have... Everybody should have a right right to to have a say on changes that are this that are mm. this big and significant and we're really concerned that the whole process seems to be completely stacked there's actually two processes that are going on at the moment there's the gene technology uh, technical review of the regulations um which is proposing deregulating this techniques but there's actually a broader review of the entire um gene technology act um, and again, there's a strong push from industry to remove, for example, the state moratoria on GMOs. So states won't be able to, mm. say, ban GM wheat mm. if mm. they don't mm. want to introduce that on e economic grounds. Um, mm. And we're really concerned that, yeah, industry is basically writing the rules and that there's a cabal of um, scientists and, and 
the GM, GM crop industry are basically writing policy for the government. Mm. Um, it's, it's quite clearly a complete stitch up. Like if you look back to 2015, um, Barnaby Joyce um, commissioned two two inquiries, one by the Productivity Commission and um, a House of Reps inquiry as well, both into agriculture agricultural regulation and, and innovation and they both concluded that GM labeling should be removed and that, that the GM the, the state ban should be removed as well on GM crops mm, um, so mm. there's a clear agenda here mm. um, and we're concerned that basically the government's just implementing the policy of the big GM crop lobby groups. Lou there's lots more to talk about absolutely but uh, we've got to go at this point but what I, I would recommend I guess is people listening should go to your website and that's the emerging tech project at foe.org.au to catch up with more and if they need to correspond with you or I, I think there is a is a, a contact detail there as well and uh, I want to uh, thank that's you. That's right. Yes, yeah. yeah. so if you go to our website, it's emergingtech.fo.org.au. Yeah, and, and you can sign up for updates on the campaign and how to get involved. Okay, and all the best to you, Lou, and uh, all your work, and keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the program. Okay. Louise Sales, she's the campaign coordinator for Friends of the Earth's Emerging Tech Project, and you heard her talking there about CRISPR the next Frankenstein monster in the tech revolution, Phil. Scary stuff going on there, but uh, exciting to hear that people are looking into this and that uh, there's ways that people can get involved in making their voice heard and making sure we get some regulation around these new industries. You are invited to Sampari Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT. West Papua website. Sampari, brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter. You're back on Dirt Radio, um, joined in the studio. My name's Phil Evans. I'm joined by the wonderful John Langer. We were just talking to uh, Louise Sales from Friends of the Earth Emerging Tech Project about um, some uh, new developments around in genetically modified organisms. But it's getting to that time of year where uh, we're getting towards Christmas parties, New Year's parties, maybe Hanukkah parties. It might just be the, the, uh, the, the time off from work where you get to catch up with family We've all got that uncle, or maybe it's an auntie, or maybe it's someone else in our family who thinks that uh, refugees need to be processed offshores in order to deter them to come, or perhaps that Tony Abbott was the greatest prime minister that Australia ever had. Well, one of the ones that bugs me the most is when people talk about nuclear energy as a viable option in Australia. So joining us on the phone right now is Dr. Jim Green, who um, for many years now has been Friends of the Earth's anti-nuclear campaigner. Jim, how are you today? Yeah, well, thanks, Phil. How are you going? Oh, not bad, not bad. Um, a little bit uh, worried about uh, heading towards some of my uh, rally bashes and uh, bumping into that particular uncle. Um, 
one of the ones that um, always comes up to, for me is that nuclear energy is a part of the clean energy mix that we need in Australia in order to combat climate change. What would you say to someone who says that? Well, firstly, I would acknowledge that uh, nuclear power is low carbon. Um, you know, that's a complicated debate, but the long and the short of it is that nuclear power does have one advantage, which is that it is low carbon. But then you would get straight into the comparison between nuclear and renewables, and uh, mm. nuclear power has gone backwards over the past decade, whereas uh, renewables are going gangbusters. Renewable energy generation worldwide has doubled over the past decade and costs have plummeted and nuclear power generates more than twice sorry renewables generate more than twice as much power as as nuclear as nuclear and uh, in five years time that'll be three times as much so you know there's really no comparison there why on earth would you go nuclear when you can uh, have more renewables for less cost and none of the risks Sure. And I mean, talking about the risks, uh, many people would then probably counter with an argument talking about uh, so-called fourth generation power plants and how they're much safer than uh, the plants that uh, cause those um, horrendous accidents at Chernobyl and Fukushima. Um, is it true that the, these new plants produce no waste? No, it's just absolute nonsense. Um, you know, none of these things are easy. I mean, I think the best advice I could give anyone who's facing that uncle they don't want to meet at Christmas is just don't engage in the debate at all. <laughs> probably so, so stubborn that you're just wasting your time and it's going to annoy you and he's just going to wind you up. But, um, <laughs> you know, with uh, fourth-generation reactors, it's, it's infinitely complex, uh, so it's pretty difficult to deal with those issues unless you do have quite a bit of knowledge at your disposal but the claim that they can produce no waste or more precisely the claim that they can uh, recycle waste they produce it and then use it as fuel is is basically nonsense and uh, these are the so-called fast reactors or fast neutron or fast breeder reactors and there's a very long history with them and they've failed basically uh, you know that's the long and the short of it and you know thorium has been investigated for mm. decades and nothing has come of it and fusion is an absolute joke and one of the interesting developments this year was a lengthy critique of fusion a really sharp strongly worded critique by a fusion scientist he's essentially ratted on his fusion science colleagues and exposed this technology for what it is which is an absolute waste of time which has got serious risks of catastrophic accidents and also one of the key points with all of these debates is uh, weapons proliferation fusion mm. Uh, can potentially generate nuclear weapons. Fast reactors have been used to produce plutonium for nuclear weapons. Conventional reactors have been used to produce plutonium for nuclear weapons. Australia's one and only serious push for nuclear weapons was under Prime Minister John Gorton. Uh, sorry, Australia's one and only serious push for nuclear power was under John Gorton, who later acknowledged that there was a hidden weapons agenda driving that. So that's one of the key issues and one that's well worth bringing up to your obstinate uncle because he probably isn't at all aware of those uh, weapons proliferation risks. For sure. And we had the fantastic news a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, comrades at, uh, at ICANN winning the Nobel Peace Prize. That was very exciting. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. And it's a story that started right here in Melbourne uh, with a woman called Demity Hawkins who's got a long association with Friends of the Earth. And 
she saw this need and this opportunity for, for an international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons and made it happen. And the way it's mushroomed has just been extraordinary. And it now enjoys the support of most of the governments around the world and thousands of NGOs and millions of people. And uh, I guess their crowning achievement, apart from the Nobel Peace Prize, was um, uh, getting the UN to establish a treaty to ban mm. nuclear weapons. And that was... That was finalised uh, in the middle of this year and uh, now dozens of governments have signed on to that. And there's obviously a lot of work to do, but it really does expose those governments who actively support nuclear weapons, not least Australia's government, which has just behaved appallingly throughout this whole process and uh, refused to even participate in the negotiations on the UN treaty to ban nuclear weapons. And... And as you may know, the uh, Prime Minister didn't even have the decency mm, to ring mm, up the ICANN mm, representatives to mm, uh, uh, to congratulate them mm. on their Nobel Peace Prize. And 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 just kind of uh, finally wrapping it up as well, because we are starting to run out of time. But um, the political situation in Australia, it just is really untenable that we would ever have a nuclear reactor in Australia, isn't it? Or another one. <laughs> Yeah, in in the foreseeable future. I mean, one, probably the best argument of all for your obstinate uncle is the economics of this thing. And uh, just keep in mind that the new there's two new reactors under construction in the UK, and the cost of those reactors is twenty billion Australian dollars each. So, you know, ask your uncle what sort of cost he would think would be acceptable, and he might say eight or twelve or even fifteen billion dollars, but you know, that's the real-world cost is $20 billion for one nuclear reactor, and uh, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So unless they can come up with technology which is vastly more affordable than that, then we need to be worrying about this in, in Australia, which is one more good reason to just give your obstinate uncle a wide berth this Christmas. <laughs> oh, I wish the table was bigger than that <laughs> so I could do that. Um if people are interested in getting involved uh, um, in work around anti-nuclear um, for clean energy in Australia, what's the best way to do that? Um, there's a collective at Frenzy Earth Melbourne. Yeah, we've got a anti-nuclear and clean energy collective at, at Foe Melbourne, so you're very welcome to get in touch with us. And we meet every fortnight and we're involved in a, a bunch of different projects. And, of course, there's Yes to Renewables campaign at Friends of the Earth and there's anti-nuclear groups around the country and uh, if people want to find your local group, then uh, they're very welcome to get in touch with me at Friends of the Earth and I can point them in the right direction. Sure. So if people are keen, they can email the Anti-Nuclear Clean Energy Collective. Uh, it's ace at foe.org.au and um, there's a bunch of friendly people involved in it, so I really encourage people to get in touch with those fantastic people. Um, thanks for joining us, Jim. Um, I think we're going to take a little break and be back in a second. Good on you. Thanks, Phil. I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. 
For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity defense fund. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash solidarity defense fund. A 3CR supporter. I really like that community service announcement. It's got really cool music underneath it. Um, that We were just talking to Jim Green, um, who is the Friends of the Earth anti-nuclear campaigner. We were talking about how to deal with these, the um, the obstinate uncle, as uh, he was saying. Um, I think the, the give it a wide berth is always a good one, especially when you're dealing with trolls online as well. <laughs> it can get very circular very quickly. Going on at the moment around in Melbourne is a fantastic 10-day festival, I suppose, of um, direct action looking at the ways that community can really start to disrupt um, business as usual for some of the corporate scumbags and the merchants of misery that exist within our, within our economic system. Uh, the hashtag Disrupt2017 has seen people uh, blockading and uh, uh, barricading the Liberal Party headquarters. Uh, people have been outside of the Department of Immigration in Adelaide. There has been uh, actions down at Centrelink to uh, to uh, highlight Serco's involvement there, being a huge merchant of misery and previously involved in uh, Australia's detention regime, as well as a lot of mobilisations out on the street around Evacuate Now. Um, things are heating up in, in Melbourne and around the country and I encourage people to uh, check out the hashtag Disrupt2017 to see some creative and interesting ideas about the way that might express the ways that they can uh, uh, challenge uh, the capitalist regime and some of the uh, the more evil prickly sides of what our government is up to in our society. And if you check out disrupt.net.au, there's a series of resources there that can help you plan your own actions and they don't have to be super scary things like you know, it can be as simple as going off and putting up information around in your community to help other people see things a bit differently. So check it out on disrupt.net.au. Well, fo.org.au, that's, <laughs> that's, that's us. And, uh, well, I'm John, and it's been Phil as well in the studio, and we will be back Next week, yes, Phil. Indeed. Looking forward to it. And great to join you in the studio, John. Terrific. And uh, let's go out. Well, here's a track, a blast from the past, Phil. <laughs> Mondo Rock, who's ever heard of them? But anyway, it's Mondo Rock, and we were talking about ge- genetic engineering and all those kinds of things. This is a track called Chemistry. Speak to you next week. See ya. <laughs>